0: Our books, our swords to Acts chapter 8. So I've been preaching through the book of Acts. And we're at a part in the book where uh, the gospel and the, the good word is starting to spread. Leave Jerusalem. You know, for a while it was really contained in the city of Jerusalem because Jesus told him to stay. He said, don't go anywhere. Stay. Wait. You know, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to be released upon you. And then go, be my disciples in Jerusalem. Um, sorry, Jerusalem, uh, Samaria, Judea to the ends of the earth. And so up till now, uh, the, the the message, the good word, has been contained in the city of Jerusalem. It's been uh, kind of a, hasn't it's been like kind of like soaking, you know. And and they've been getting good at doing church. They've been getting good at you know like you know raising up leaders and all these good things are happening. But that's not the design that God and Jesus had for the church. You know? And so God actually gives him a little kick in the butt with a, with a guy by the name of Saul. And Saul, who's a Pharisee, starts to go on a rant. Like, man, you know, I, all, everything that I believed, everything that I've learned through, since I was a small kid up till now, all the teachings that I've learned, this guy named Jesus is, is just, just messing with it. And, and he's, he was a very zealous man. Now, if you look at Saul who later became Paul, you look at his life, his the same, like the the passion and the zeal that he had as a Pharisee, that's what became the passion and zeal that he had uh, for the gospel and for God. You know, he had that in him. And so, you know, he was putting, he was like getting men and women and putting them in jail and persecuting them. And so this persecution scattered the church and everybody are like, man, no, forget this. I'm gone. You know, (laughs) like, I don't want to you know, get put in jail by this guy named Saul. So a lot of them scattered. And, uh, and a lot of them went into the, the, where, God, where Jesus actually called them to go, which is Judea, uh, Samaria. And one of those people was named Philip. So Philip was one of the seven deacons that were chosen to, um, to actually serve the widows. You know, he was one of the first lay leaders that were raised up in the church. He, starts, he goes into Samaria, and he starts preaching the word of God. He's being led by the Spirit of God. You no, know, and he's not only preaching, but all of these amazing like signs and wonders accompany him. You know, like demons were getting casted out. You know, people were getting healed. Lame people were, were walking. And people were amazed. The Samaritan the Samaritan people were they were just like, Wow, I've never seen anything like this. And one of those people that were amazed was a man by the name of Simon. And here in Acts eight, we read an account of Simon the magician. So we're going to read uh, verses 9, chapter 8, verses 9 to 25. Okay, I'll read one verse. You guys follow me. I'm going to read it in the ESV, which is a version of our church. So uh, verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone of whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, so you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So now we hear the story of this this man by the name of Simon, name of Simon the magician. And he practiced practice magic. And I don't like the use of the word magic uh, in our version. You know, we, we read the ESV, but, you know, the word magic, it's the correct term. It comes from the, Gre- from the Greek maguo, okay, which is actually, you know, practicing magic. But I don't like the use of this word magic because the word magic has been diluted so much in our culture today. You know, we, we go, we see those magic tricks, you know, like, you know. <laughs> Oh, and, like, taking coins. For those listening to the podcast, I removed my thumb from my hand, okay? <laughs> uh, this magic trick, like, you know, gold coins out of the ears, you know, and, and we, we dilute the word magic to like something like Harry Potter, you know, which is fun and re- almost trivial and kind of exciting. We think of, you know, me and my uh, wife, Mina, when my nieces were down here a few months ago, we went, on, we went to this kid's magic show, and man, it was pretty amazing. I remember, this for little kids, but me and Mina were like, wow! <laughs> but, like, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, okay. I was trying to figure it out. Like, oh, I can see how they're doing this. You know, this is, this is all kind of, it's like sleight of hand, and it's like smoke and mirrors. It's like tricks. You know? But I don't like the use of the word magic in this text because it's been diluted. But if we le- read the King James Version, okay, and if we read it, it says, But there was a certain man called Simon which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving, giving out that himself was some great one. Contrary to popular belief, sorcery and black magic, it actually exists in our, in, our, in our days today. It's been around for ages, and it's rooted in occultism, it's demonic, and it's not just demonic, it's satanic. You know, there's this guy named David Copperfield was a famous magician. And I don't know if you've actually seen his magic tricks, but it's amazing. And, and there was actually a show that came out. It said, Magic Secrets Revealed. And there was this guy with a black mask. And he was, like, revealing all these secrets. But I went on the Internet, and I Googled what was happening. And there was this, like, it was like this man-made doc, like, a, kind of like this guy made, a, 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 like, a pseudo-documentary about the fact that that show, Magic Secrets Revealed, was actually fake. Because if you look at how David Copperfield actually does his tricks, there's no way that you can explain what's going on, okay? There is no way. And they actually had this trick where he was cut in half, and then uh, they, they, the, the, the magic show, the trick show, they say, oh, well, his legs were here, and it was somebody else's leg. But the way that David Copperfield does his trick, there's no way that, that is, is not the same magic trick. And if you look at it, homie actually gets cut in half, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's scary. And, you, you know, and, and in the documentary, he talks. there's like these interviews that David Copperfield was giving. He's like, it's not tricks. And he actually says it himself. He's like, it's not tricks. It's the spirits that guides me in these things. He says it all the time. He says it straight to your face. He's saying, this is real. And it's demonic powers. It's been around for ages. It's the occult. Satan is the father of lies. And he's, he's also the, the king of counterfeit. Mm-hmm. And the miracles, signs, and wonders performed by Jesus, the apostles, the miracles, signs, and wonders that are being performed by the Holy Spirit today, there's a satanic counterfeit to them. And it comes in the form of sorcery, magic, witchcraft, and it's all rooted in the occult. For those of you that don't know, the occult is defined, we can define it as trying to gain power and knowledge or knowledge from a source other than God. So, things like fortune telling, you know, horoscopes, tarot card reading, crystal balls, Ouija boards, palm reading, pulse reading. These are all ways in which man tries to gain knowledge and power from a source other than God. And some of you guys may have dabbled in these in your lives in the past. And I'm not trying to scare you, but God hates the occult. He hates the occultic. It's a sin. Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 14, it says, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Okay, I don't do that. <laughs> anyone, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a median or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord and, and your God for the nations which you are about to dis, to dispossess. Listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do, to do this. The occult is an abomination to the Lord. It's a sin. There is a consequences. You're opening yourself to demonic influence when you dabble in these things. You know, we have stories from our healing and deliverance ministry where... You know, we have this thing called healing and deliverance, and it's not something we made up as biblical. It's how people get, you know, break out of bondage of certain, like, you know, influences in their lives. And, and they, there's all these stories of people that have nightmares. And in Korean, they call it kawi, where you feel like you're awake, but you're asleep, and you can't move your, your body. You're like, oh, you toss and turn. There's actually a Korean term for that. It's called kawi. It's like fizzers. You know, people, people don't have clarity. People that have this amazing fear and anxiety over their life, they don't know why. And if you look at their healing and deliverance questionnaire, they have all of these occultic history checked up, dabbled in this. I did that. And it's a consequences of the sin of, occult, of dabbling in the occult. And if you are one of these people today and you are serious about healing and dealing with these occultic things that you may have been through in your, in your life in the past, and if you're a small group member, go talk to your small group leader. They will, they will, they will lead you into healing and deliverance. They will lead you into to breaking some of It's very simple. They lead you into breaking some of these things off of your life. And if you're not in a small group, sign up for small group. <laughs> and, and then they'll, they'll walk you into a season of mentorship, in, into discipleship. and They'll help you break out of some of these things that may have latched onto you dabbling in the occult but not just in the occultic, but on in other areas of your life regarding other sins but moving on simon was a magician he was a sorcerer he had deep roots in occultism and he himself would have known that all of this was a sin i mentioned in my last sermon that samaritans they they believe in the first five books of the old testament okay everything else to them is hogwash but the first five books then samaritans are like yeah this is part of our history is what we believe in. And so he would have known about Deuteronomy 18 and the fact that sorcery, magic, all of this is an abomination to the Lord. But he did it anyway. He knew that it was a sin. He must have. But he was doing it anyways. And as he practiced his magic, he became famous. And it says that he himself, he's like self-promoting, that he himself was saying that he was somebody that was great. And it says that people were paying attention to him from the least to the greatest. So, not only is he getting famous, he's starting to have influence. Starting to have power and fame. And he was a big shot. He was somebody. And he, and he was hooked. It was like a drug to him. And people were saying that this man is the power of God that is, that is called great. And Simon, Simon himself, he, he wasn't like, you know, like saying, oh, you know, not saying anything and allowing people to say this. He's actually insinuating this. People are coming to this conclusion because he's actually insinuating yeah, this is the power of God. He was drunk on fame and power, and he fell into a temptation that Lucifer himself fa- fell into, which is pride. He actually wanted to be worshipped, he wanted the glory. And you know what? The way that it's being described in Acts 8, it almost sounds like he was being worshiped Where at once and then along comes this man Philip. Okay. Started preaching about this guy named Jesus Christ. And along with, the, with these preaching comes his miracles, people were getting set free. People were getting healed. Lame people were walking. And he was like, Man, what is this sorcery? He was amazed. Where at once Simon was a headliner, all of a sudden it was Philip. And not only were people being amazed by him, they were following him, they were believing him, and they were being baptized. And another amazing thing that was happening, besides all the miracles, was joy was breaking out. It says in verse 8, it says, so there was much joy in that city. Not only was he doing all of these miracles, people were happy. They were filled with joy. He had never seen this before. He's seen people get amazed. Whoa, that's about it. But this is like life, lives were being changed. People were being set free. Dispositions and people's like outlook on life were changing. And this was, this was amazing. His tricks had amazed them, but it wasn't giving them joy. And it, and it wasn't giving them satisfaction. And he was saying to himself, I must have this. And in verse 13, something happens that brings up a lot of questions for us. It says that as all these Samaritans were believing in Jesus Christ and were being baptized, it says that even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Luke says that Simon believed and was baptized. And this brings up the question, was Simon truly saved? Later on, when Peter and John comes up, to pray for, for the people to receive the Holy Spirit. Simon sees him. It happened that, he's, it, that it, the Holy Spirit is released through the laying on of hands. And he busts out his checkbook. He's like, man, let me get this. How many zero, zeros do I have to write down? I'm going in on this. And he offered them money saying, give me this power also. So that anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter, he gives this sharp rebuke. That may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before, the, before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Now, as we read this, we can't determine whether Sa- Simon was actually saved or not. Some theologians believe that he was saved. Some, people, some theologians believe that he wasn't. Okay? Some say that there's nothing that is written in the Bible that supports that he wasn't saved. And if we take the Bible literally as our ultimate authority, we see that Simon believed, was baptized, and was saved. It's Mark 16:15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the, whole, to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So there's a bunch of people that believe that he was saved. And other theologians believe that Simon was never saved and that his conversion was just on the surface. He went through the ritual of baptism but was never truly born again. Some, points, some people point to historical tradition that says that Simon went on to become a heretic that started a cult on the heels of the church and actually went on to, to be one of the founders of Gnosticism. And that by some of the early church leaders, he was labeled the father of all Pharisees. This is part of, like, history. However, when we read the word of God, okay, which is our ultimate authority, we are left with the question, What was Simon saved or was he not? Was he a believer? Was he a true convert? And just like how we cannot fully be sure if our fellow brothers and sisters are really saved, I believe that Luke keeps us guessing about Simon Because the issue is not whether he truly believed or not. The ultimate, you know, the ultimate, ultimately the only person that knows is God. You know, we we can make assumptions based on fruit, based on character, but ultimately only God knows. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The issue isn't whether he was saved or not. The issue is where his heart was in regards to God. I'm going to explain this. what, What does Peter say to Simon? You have neither part nor lot in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of wickedness of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Let me tell you, there are people that say, I believe, just like Simon. And there are people that are baptized, just like Simon. But their hearts are not right before God, just like Simon. And you may be sitting here today and you may believe but your heart is not right before God. And today, I'm going to go over some of the pitfalls that Simon, the magician, fell into that made his heart not right with God. Okay. Right off the top, it's easy. It's mentioned before, the occult. Man. He fell into it and made his heart not right before God. Some might think it's harmless. And I, you know, I want to know if this boy really likes me. And they have the, you know, if I go to like Shinze, or do they have it at If I go to this mall, they have these little tarot cards. I'm just going to ask, does he like me? You know, I'm just going to ask, you know, what, what my future husband's going to look like. Or what are you going to do for a living? Some might think it's harmless. And occultic practices actually may seem harmless. But that's exactly what say, Satan wants you to think. But The word of God tells us otherwise. It says that the occult is an abomination to God. He hates it. He abhors it. It's the opposite of God. It's of Satan. God is saying, if you want knowledge, come to me. Because I know everything. And if you want power, come to me. Because I am omnipotent. I have all power. I I have the power. I can give you the power to save a people from an eternity of hell. I can give you. That's the power that I work with. Why are you going... And messing around with these little demons. That, that their whole purpose is to get you trapped. And the whole purpose is basically to kill you. Why are you messing around with these demons that are out to destroy you? And the occult is a slap in the face of God. You're offending the creator of the universe. Oh, and you might be saying today, well, I didn't know. Well, you know now. <laughs> Stop doing it. And get, some, get some healing and deliverance. Get that bad juju off of your life. And if you're really serious about H and D, it's it's easy. Like I said before, it's easy. You basically confess, Lord, forgive me for doing this, for going to see this, you know, fortune teller. Repent, saying I turn from it. I don't. I don't. I'm not going to do it. I know that it's wrong. I'm not going to do it anymore. And then you renounce. You renounce any whatever. Information, whatever things that you got from that, you know that source, you just renounce it, you, you forsake it. But if you look at if you look at what Herm, what uh, what Simon was going through, it, <laughs> I won't say Herman. If you look at what Simon what what he was the, what he was under, it started with the occult, it started with this desire for power, this desire, and, and it, it was intoxicating for him. So the first pitfall that he went—it was the occult. The second pitfall that Simon fell into that made his heart not right with God was selfish, selfish ambition. At the heart of it was pride. Let me tell you, for some of the leaders in here, including myself, we have to make sure that this is in check. You know, and don't get me wrong—being ambitious is right. Our ninth core value is this dream big. You know, God wants us to be ambitious. He wants us to, 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 to attempt great things for God. That's, it's, not, it's not wrong to be ambitious. But if that ambition is rooted in pride, in self-glorification, in wanting to look better and greater than others, others, it is a selfish ambition and a sin. You know, Galatians five nineteen through 21 The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. I, I, I'm not into that, God. I'm all right. Impurity and debauchery. I'm, I'm, I'm good there. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies. What? I, I ain't never been part of an orgy, God. I'm, I'm, I'm good there. And he, say, and he says, I warn you, as I did before, that, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. God, I don't do any of these, these things. But smack dab in the middle of all this sin, the sinful nature is selfish ambition. In in the ESV it says strife, but I like what it says in the NIV. It says selfish ambition. In the in the Greek in the Greek it's called, erithia. meaning it's it, it means electioneering, or intriguing for office, a desire to put oneself forward, or being selfish. It it denotes a self-seeking pursuit of poli- political office. By unfair means, having selfishness or self promoting in your heart. You know, and we may not be as bad as Simon the magician, because that's what he was all about. He was all about selfish ambition. He wanted to be great. He wanted people to admire him, to marvel him, marvel at him, to worship him. But if we are not careful in our pursuit of holiness and righteousness, we can easily fall into thiah. Because pride is one of the sneakiest sins for the Christian, because many times we don't even know we're in it. And so, how do we? You know, so how are we to not fall into selfish ambition? You no, know, how do I, how do I know? How do I keep this in check? And when we, when we read Philippians two, verse three, it says, "Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others." more significant than yourself. Mm-hmm. Let each of you look not only in his own interest, but also in the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the form of God, did not though in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And how do we keep ourselves from falling into selfish ambition? It says in Philippians 2. And the answer is, it's a constant revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. You have to constantly be reminded of who Jesus is. In your your pursuits here in church, as you get raised up as a leader, as you get raised up as an active leader, what's going to keep you what's going to keep that pride from rising up, what's going to keep you grounded, is getting a revelation of who Christ Jesus is. What he did. Who he is to you. Where he is now. We have to have a constant revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. And the second pitfall that Simon the Magician magician fell into was this. It was pride. Selfish ambition. Third, the third pitfall that he fell into is he may have believed, but there was no true repentance. He completely didn't turn from his sin and leave his sinful patterns behind him. He still held on to his old mindset. He didn't stop what he was doing. Well, he did stop what he was doing. Because in verse 9 it says, but there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic. So apparently he stopped. He stopped sinning at one point. He heard the good news. He believed and was baptized. And notice he didn't offer money to Philip when he was doing these signs and wonders. As a matter of fact, what did he do? He followed Philip. But when he saw the apostles, that they were giving the Holy Spirit, which was a source of the power, they were able to impart the Holy Spirit To the people that they touched, this power, this ability was too great for him to pass up. And he said, Man, I gotta have this. He busts out his wallet and he said, Sell me this power. And his old sin habit came right back. You know, we scoff at Simon the magician, but isn't that how we are sometimes? I've repented, I've turned from this sin. How can I be right back into it all over again? And you question sometimes, am I really saved? No, Although when we read about Simon the Magician, we, we say, oh, he's bad. But how far is it from how we act sometimes and how we are sometimes? Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, Pastor Christian, he preached a sermon called Be a Berean. When I first saw it, I thought it said Be a Berean. I was going to text her. I was like, oh, PC did a sermon on you. I read it again. I was like, oh, be a Berean. All right. In it, Pastor Christian, he talks about the Bereans and how they didn't take the word of God blindly, but they searched, they dug, they went deeper into the word of God to obtain the truth for themselves. And it was a good word. And I encourage all of you guys to listen to it. But in it, he also talked about how true transformation comes from two things. It comes from repentance, and it comes from renewal. You know, we repent, we turn, we forsake sin, we know that it's wrong, and we want to change our ways. And then after that, we re- go into renewal. We search and we study the Word of God and the Holy Spirit who leads us in all truth. As we dig in and we find the truth for ourselves, we allow, we allow that truth that comes from the Word of God to change our understanding, change our mindset, to give us a new mindset. so like we think differently. That's where true transformation comes. A lot of times we repent. We turn. We recognize the sin. We want to change. But as we turn from that sin, we allow our eyes, our minds, our bodies to dwell upon the same things that we were in in the past. And instead of facing Jesus Christ in the word of God and in prayer, we find ourselves in the same pattern that led us into that sin in the first place. It's like a coffee drinker that have all these ulcers. Like, man, i got to quit drinking coffee. That's how I feel sometimes. I drink a lot of coffee. Like, man, i gotta, I got to stop. I know it's bad for me. It's, it's bad. And I'm going to quit. You make that decision. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop drinking coffee. But then you spend six hours a day sitting in Starbucks, smelling that sweet coffee, saying, wow, that's, that smells amazing. It's an espresso roast. mm. It's like, it's like you, you, you let yourself dwell upon the same patterns that, that led you into the sin in the first place. Although you may have repented, you're not facing the right direction. You may have turned, but you're not facing Jesus. You're not facing the Word of God. And brothers and sisters, if you want true transformation, if you want to be dead to sin, if you want I, that identity that you have in Christ Jesus to match the life that you are living... Repentance and renewal is needed. A lot of us, we have our identity. I am a, a, I am a child of God. I am dead to sin. The Sin does not have power over me. It's by the blood of the Lamb. We have the right identity, but it doesn't sometimes match up to our life. And it gives us questions like, am I really saved? Was, was my repentance true? Did I really turn from this, this sin? And I want to tell you, you really did. It's just that when you did, you weren't facing Jesus. You weren't looking at the Word of God. You weren't searching for the truth. Because that truth, as you start digging into it, you know what it's going to do? It's going to transform your thinking. It's going to start transforming your mindset. So that when you even when you look at that old self, you realize that it's, it's bad. You realize, oh, it's no good. You remove yourself from that and you, you place yourself in the place of the word of god and when we when we look at when we look at Simon the magician we don't see this we don't see this repentance cuz why he goes right back into it right when he sees this wow this oh it's too good it's too good to pass up i got i got i got to have it i mean i've had experiences like this in, my, in the past man I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. God, I repent. But I, I, like, everything or nothing changed in my, in my lifestyle. I'm right. I'm doing the same. I'm in the same place. I'm not, and I have my mind set on the same things. And then I get all like discouraged when I end up doing the same thing again. That's what, that's what happened to Simon. This is his pitfall. He, there was, his repentance was not followed by renewal. The fourth pitfall of Simon the Magician is although he may have understood the idea of Jesus Christ, he didn't come to know the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason is because he didn't have an understanding of grace. What is the definition of grace? Free, unmerited favor of God. And what happened when Simon saw the gift that God was being of God that was being released to the people. What does he do? Tries to buy it. The word, you know there's a word for Simon? It's called simony. Simony, buying and selling of church benefits. (laughs) Homie got a sin named after him. (laughs) Imagine if there was a sin called Roy. And it was like, like stealing candy at church or something like that. Imagine. Imagine. I mean, he, that's what he did. He didn't, have a, he didn't have the understanding of grace. Simony basically is, there is, well, the, the thing, sin of simony, you completely remove grace. He had no understanding of grace. He didn't have, he didn't truly understand. He didn't fully understand. He didn't discover the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is grace personified. Free, unmerited favor of God is manifested to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And because Simon didn't have an understanding of the person of Jesus Christ, there was no relationship there. You get it? Because he didn't have an understanding of grace, he couldn't know the person of Jesus Christ. He knew the idea of, it sounded good to him. Oh, this idea of the Savior, this Messiah. I heard of this before. He, he, he understood the idea. He actually believe, probably believed in the idea of Jesus Christ. Because, but because he didn't know grace, he didn't know the person of Jesus Christ. And because he didn't know the person of Jesus Christ, he, there, there was no relationship. He couldn't have this relationship. It's all about relationship. When Peter rebukes Simon, he tells him, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours... And pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And what does Simon do? How does he respond? Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, some of you guys might hear this and see this as like a, like a really like him, you know, like confessing and, and being right. No, he doesn't pray himself, but he asks them to pray. There's no relationship there. And secondly, he's more concerned about the consequence of sin than the actual sin. When you have a true understanding of grace, you have a conviction of sin. But grace points to the person of Jesus Christ. And the work of the cross, and the gospel, and the blood of Jesus Christ. And instead of pointing to the consequence of sin, grace points to the person of Jesus Christ. We deserve deserve the consequence of sin, but through grace and through the person of Jesus Christ, we understand. We, we understand repentance. We understand forgiveness. And we understand a relationship with Jesus, the person of Jesus. It's a relationship. And I believe out of all of the pitfalls that Simon fell into, this was the most damaging. Because it could actually affect his salvation. Brothers and sisters... Do you know the person of Jesus Christ? Are you in a relationship with him? Or, or, or is he just an idea, a concept? A concept that you believe in. You know, when my baby is born, we're going to name him Ethan. When he's born, I will believe that he is my child. But that, <laughs> but that belief, you know, I'll believe it. That's my child. I could believe it. But that belief translates into a relationship with a person. You know, I believe, but because I believe there's a relationship, he's my child. But just like there are a lot of dads out there that believe that it's their child, but have no relationship with that child. There's a lot of Christians today that believe they are absent when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. For those people, I want to remind them of Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you guys don't have this relationship with God, I encourage you guys, go after it. Go after it. Seek after it. There has to be a hunger. You know, I want to contrast, and I'm going to close with this. I want to compare and contrast Simon the Magician with the person that comes right after this in the Bible, which is uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, you guys know that eunuch is somebody that's, that's been castrated. okay? And usually it happens at a young age. Okay? It's because you know, all of that sexual hormones don't get released. So it happens at a young age, and so he gets cash That's what a eunuch is. You might, you might think it was something else, but that's what it is. Okay? And it says in here that he was, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So, so he was, although he was a servant, he was a very highly esteemed servant. Okay? He, had, he had influence. He was actually in charge of the treasury, of the money of, of Queen Candace. Like... Simon, who was also a man of influence, okay, and he, and he came to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So first of all, you know, you guys may not know, but from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, it's a long trip. It's not like, it's not like a subway ride. You, you got to actually, it's like you ride for days. It's like a pilgrimage that he took to, to Jerusalem. And Why? He wasn't a Jew. Why? Why did he go all the way to Jerusalem? And we can we can infer that he did this because he was seeking after God. He was they, people labeled him a God fearer, and he he knew that there was a God. He wanted he had these questions, so he, he he came to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit and, and the spirit said to Philip, "Go over and join this chariot." Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does a prophet say this about himself or about somebody else? And right there, he's saying, Who is this? Yeah, because right now he already he's hungry. He's hungry. You know, that hunger is in him. He took this long trip to Jerusalem. And saw a bunch of Pharisees and said, man, I'm going to buy this book of Isaiah. I'm going I'm to take off. And then he's, he's coming, reading this book. But he's hungry. He had questions in his mind. Was, he, he, he was digging into the word. And he was trying to find the truth. And right there he says, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about somebody else? He's like, right now, already, he's looking for a person. He's looking for a person. He realizes That it's a person. It's a relationship. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came through some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariots to stop. And they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch. and And he baptized them. And when they came up, out of the water the scripture the, the spirit of the lord carried philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing if we look at this conversion it's radically different from what simon went through and i just picture philip just telling him about jesus you know he doesn't know about jesus yet probably went to jerusalem you know, went to the temple. He can't go into the temple because, you know, he's a eunuch. Eunuchs aren't allowed in the temple. People that are, have, like, you know, like, things wrong with their bodies, they weren't allowed in the temple. So just because he's a eunuch. But he went there because he was seeking after something. And he probably found a bunch of religious people. But he, he wasn't, you know, he's like, you know what? I know that there's truth out there. And so, you know, this, this book of Isaiah, he probably purchased it for quite a bit of money. And as he's coming back, he's searching. He's searching this book. He's like, you know what? man? I'm, I'm, and he's reading. He's hungry. And I can imagine Philip just saying, telling him about Jesus, telling him about this person. And I can just imagine this Ethiopian eunuch just saying, that's it. That's it. That's my Savior. That's my Savior. I could, this is what I was looking for. This, this is the person that I've been searching for. And he sees this water, body of water. He's like, "This water. Baptize me now. Baptize me now. I, 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 I want to be baptized now. And how amazing is this conversion in contrast to what happened with Simon? And, and, and the difference is hunger. And the difference is a relationship. And the difference is the person of Jesus Christ. You have to know the person of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a relationship there. You know, a lot of us today, when we read about Simon, you know, we, we might scoff at him. We might be like, oh, Simon, why did you do that? How how could you be like this? But there are some of us in you that can actually relate to Simon. You guys... You guys believe in Jesus. You guys believe the, 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 this, this thing. I believe. But you guys don't have a relationship. There is no connection. And for those of you guys, I invite you, seek after it. Like this Ethiopian eunuch. Go after it. Go after it. Dig. Search. Hunger after the Lord. And you know what? He's not going to hide from you you hunger after him he will never deny himself from you but he will always reveal himself but the key is the hunger you have to hunger let's pray right now i just want us to go into a time and i don't want to call anybody up you know i i know I don't I, I don't want to call you guys out. I don't wanna but I want you guys close your eyes and, 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 and search your hearts and 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 ask and see where your heart is in relation to God. Is your heart right with God? Is your heart right with God? Are you in a place of repentance? Are you in a place where you've turned away from sin? Are you in a place where you are a new creation? Are you in a place where you're digging into the Word of God and your mind is being transformed? Or, are, or do you feel lost? In your Christian walk, do you feel lost? Do you feel like I'm, I'm trying everything, but it's not working, God? Are you in a place, you have a, this personal relationship with Christ. You know him as a person. He speaks to you. He touches your heart. He ministers to you. He breathes and he speaks life into you through his word. Or are you just in a place of belief in the idea of Jesus Christ? And today, I just want to challenge you guys to pray. I want you guys to relate and put yourself in the shoe of the Ethiopian eunuch. Who had this hunger. He had this this hunger that needed to be satisfied he there was, there was something that he was searching he was yearning he was going after something he was he was going after the truth, and brothers and sisters as if if, if, if you humble yourself and you position yourself in that place of humility and then you start going after. You start going after God. You start going after God in the Word. Start searching the Word. Start search, searching Him out in prayer. Seek, and you start building up this hunger for Him. I guarantee you, God will encounter you. He will encounter you. Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. He will encounter you. But I want to ask you today, how hungry are you? How hungry are you and right now i want to i'm gonna pray i'm gonna pray for everyone in this place father God, I just pray right now build up a hunger in us, raise up a hunger in us God, give us a desire, give us a zeal to hunger after you to hunger after and and, and, and to seek after and to to in, in, encounter and know the person of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll the, build this hunger inside each and every one of us. Oh, and even for the ones that know Jesus, help us to go after you even more. Help us to go after greater revelations of who you are. Go deeper. Lord, give us hunger. Give us hunger. Make us hungry for you. Help us to thirst after you. Help us to be hungrier for you than we are of food and entertainment and things of this world that comes to distract. But, Lord, we know that there is is a truth and there is one that can completely satisfy and is the person of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we pray, give us a hunger for him. Give us a hunger for you, Lord. Help us to be hungry. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that even though we may not be, we may, right now, we may be like a Simon. And right now, we may be in the place and have the similar mindsets of Simon. But we know, Lord, that there is Grace. The grace of the Lord is upon us. And Lord, as we understand and as we cling to grace, Lord, you will reveal yourself because you are grace personified. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone in this place. I pray for a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ today. I pray for a fresh revelation of grace today. And I pray that you will inject hunger, hunger for God in each and every one of us. Hunger for a relationship. Lord. Some of us are single and man, we want a relationship. Lord, help us to hunger it, hunger after even more than that. This world could fall away, but as long as I have this. Lord, build up that hunger in us. Make us the people that thirst after you. We love you and we bless you, Lord. And we lift everything up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.